Rodriguez to Montour, distributes to Middlestad, high slot, Skinner the redirection, wow, saved by Rask, on his belly, he tries to squeeze the knees, Evan Rodriguez denied on an impossible Tuka Rask save. Ball there by Kempe to the backboard. Oshie, good hands, backdoor look for Carlson, off the deep, he scores! Carlson does it again! What a great chance for the play, here's a chance, McKinnon scores! Nathan McKinnon in overtime, and the Avalanche tie the series at one. So Dallas ties it up on Pavelski, who's got the most recent two stars goals. One in overtime, and now in front, he's got another one! Back-to-back power play goals for Joe Pavelski and the Stars lead. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Hockey Unmasked. This week, Stefan and I will be discussing the round-robin play-in that will be happening uh, simultaneously to the Stanley Cup qualifiers between the Eastern Conference and Western Conference. So kicking things off, Stefan, I know you're going to go over the rules, but hockey is officially back July 30th. And we have these round robins with the four top teams who are sitting pretty, not worrying their fan bases at all about getting into the regular Stanley Cup playoffs. And certainly these matchups are going to be interesting. Obviously, the top class of the East and the top class of the West are going to be facing off. Yeah, so for the rules, each team plays three games. And then the tiebreaker is point percentage from the regular season. And like you said, it's a regular season rule. So you got overtime, three on three, you got shootout. And... This is something we've never seen before. This is a unique thing that we're going to see, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, given the fact that it's not a lengthy series. It's, all right, you're playing each team once. You better come out on top. So we'll go into our now. So for Eastern Conference, Rod Robin, Boston Bruins are in first, 44-14-12, and 12, 100 points, 714 win percentage. Second is Tampa Bay Lightning, 43-21-6, and 6, 92 points, 657 win percentage. Washington Capitals in third, 41, 20, and 8, 90 points, 652 winning percentage. And Philadelphia Flyers rounded off 41, 21, and 7, 89 points, 645 win percentage. And obviously, this the seeding doesn't matter because they're all in its round robin. And after that, that's how the seeding works. But he get off with the best in the East and the Boston Bruins. Breakdown versus these three teams. Against Tampa, 1-2-1, and one, 10 goals for, 13 goals against. Against Washington, 1-1-1, 11 goals for, 9 goals against. And Philly, 1-0-2, 9 goals for, 9 goals against. And and like you said, the seeding doesn't really matter, but the point percentage does at the end if there winds up being a tie. So uh, it's interesting to see how these teams battle it out, especially if, you know, one team's 2-0 playing another 2-0 team in their final game. Uh, But, yes, like you said, the Boston Bruins, they, they played, you know, at the at such a high level throughout the year, but then you look at the three teams that they're going to wind up playing in the round robin, and they, they didn't finish over 500 against any of them. So that's a very interesting, you know, margin there. And their power plays phenomenal at 25.2%. Their PK is phenomenal at 84.3%. They score at a high rate. They don't give up many goals. This is all around the best team in the NHL. They're the president's trophy winners. Uh, they're, they're fully going to be firing on all gears you know that they're offensively they're going to come down your throat they have one of the best lines in hockey if not the best line in hockey and defensively they're stout Tukarask and Yaroslav Halak have been great in that you talk about David Poster not 48 goals 47 assists 96 points he has 20 points on the power play he's one of those guys that is going to carry an offense and he finished in a tie for the Rocket Richard trophy with Alexander Ovechkin 
Brad Marchand, another guy, 28 goals, 59 assists on the season. You have Patrice Bergeron there. You have Charlie McAvoy in the back end, the veterans of Dano Char. This is a stacked team. And I'll let you talk about the goaltending because obviously that's your expertise. But Boston, surprisingly, I don't feel as comfortable with them in this play-in round because they were going so well. And you want to keep that going into the playoffs. That's the whole point. In every sport, you want to be the team that's the hottest going in. And that would have been you know, Boston or Philadelphia, maybe, some would say. But Boston, now you look at their matchups that they're going to have in the round robin. They, those teams play them well, and it's because they're similar styles, which is going to make it very exciting. Yeah, you look at Boston. They lost in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup last year to the St. Louis Blues. And obviously they could have won. That could have gone either way that series. But when you think about this team, I mean, I remember watching the Honor game earlier. Uh, later in the season, uh, the Bruins shut out the Islanders on Butch Goring Day. But it wasn't a domination by the Bruins. It was a couple of lucky bounces early. But you see with good teams, they get those lucky bounces that go their way. And I think in a, especially in a round robin when every play is crucial, just throwing it at the net, see what happens. Good things happen to good teams. Obviously, the other way around, a bad team, you know, like a Philadelphia Flyers team, that's probably one of the weaker teams, obviously, going into this, even though they finished the season pretty hot before cooling down slightly. You know, these lucky bounces happen to good teams. But for goaltending, I mean, it's been a great story this season. Tuka Rask, 26-8-6, 9-29 percentage, 2.12 goals against average. And Yaroslav Halak, 18-6-6, 9-19 percentage, 2.39 goals against Jennings Trophy, obviously. They've been the best duo in the league, and Tuka Rask is having an unreal season. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely going to be up for Vesna. He definitely could win it. So I think just looking at this team, they just have – they had everything going for them the whole year. And like you said, you know, does that hurt a team – with an extended break because they, you know, they lost their mojo and everything going on. You know, they can't build off what they did during the regular season because everyone's back to square one. But it's just, I don't know, just this team to me, they just have the veteran leadership, the speed, the skill, the defense, the goaltending. And that's obviously the reason why they finished first in the Eastern Conference. Yep. And then you transition now to the Tampa Bay Lightning, who have, they were expected to be where they are now. You know, everyone expected Tampa Bay Lightning to be on the top of the East again. Their roster's absolutely loaded and uh, last year's disappointment being swept by Columbus in the first round you know people thought that they were transitioning to all right this is our year we have to prove that we belong and they started off really slow they were not looking good and then they came on in the end and now they're the second place team in the Eastern Conference and you look at they won three out of the four games against Boston they went 0-2-1 against Washington which is a little bit of surprise there and then they were 2-0 against Philly so they do feel comfortable playing the majority of these teams Obviously, 0-2-1 against Boston, they, they did give up 12 goals against their 6-4. So they got outplayed in those games. And Washington is one of those teams that can, if they, have, if they know your weakness, they will expose it. They're a talented, veteran group. They've been there and done it. So I think that Tampa Bay is going to rely on their veteran core because they have all these guys, Kudrov, Stamkos, Braden Point, Tyler Johnson, that they've been in all of these runs. So this is not new to them. They not, they're not going to feel the pressure. And I think that Tampa Bay is going to surprise people with how competitive they are. I don't know about in the round-robin round necessarily, but once the first round gets underway, they're going to be all business. I think the biggest thing for the Lightning is a healthy Stamkos. I know he played upwards, I think, of around 57 to 59 games. I can't remember. You know, Obviously, they played more than that. But usually, we've seen injuries after injuries just derail this guy. I mean, he's elite from that spot same place where Ovechkin sits in a power play he's got an absolute fire shot and I think that him being healthy I mean he's also playing well 55.2 percent in the face-off yep. circle you got to control the puck to win these games and I think that 29 goals 37 assists 66 points 
that's a good year for Steven Samkos, and that means something to this Lightning team that is so absolutely stacked. Yeah, he's got one of those shots where like Ovechkin lines up at the top of the circle on a power play. Stamkos lines up almost at the bottom. He gives himself no angle, but he's so precise that he still scores. And when you have guys around him that can also score, like Hedman up top, Nikita Kucherov, they don't need him to be in that Ovechkin spot, and he's still very successful. And you talk about Kucherov's 33 goals and 52 assists on the season. He's the type of guy that's going to score no matter what. He did go a little bit quiet in the playoffs last year, and then he had that bad hit against Columbus that got him suspended for a game. And so it wasn't a great postseason for him. So look for him to bounce back. And he's shooting 15.7%. So this is a guy that's getting chances and converting on him. And hopefully for Tampa Bay's sake, it does continue into the postseason. Also, to go back to the Stamkos point, yes, he's the captain. But if your captain's out and injured the whole entire time and he's not on the ice with you, I mean, that takes a toll. Obviously, you want him out there. And when he is out there, you know what kind of leader he is. You know what you're getting from him. He doesn't have to be the top guy. You, know, you got Point, you got Kutrov, you got Hedman. Again, these are we're, all these teams that made it in the top this year is because of the depth that they have scoring and defensively. I mean, you look at their defense. Their defense is stacked. They don't have a problem with that. But I think another big key is Andre Vasilevsky. He yep. goes 35-14-3, 9-17 save percentage, 2.56 goals against average. And last year, he won the Vesna. This year... Hasn't been amazing, like you said. They were off to a very slow start. He was not playing well at all. He turned it up and won an absolute tear midway through the season. So it comes down to the confidence. We saw it happen in last year's playoffs. I don't fully blame him. He wasn't great. The team in front of him wasn't great, though. This is another chance for this Lightning team to go, you know what? We could do it this year. And until they do do it, I won't believe in them just for the fact that we saw it happen last year. We see every year after year how good they are. I mean, they remind me of the Yankees, pretty much. Every year, it's like, oh, they're going to win. They're going to win. Nothing. So I think that the Lightning, though, in a three-game series, technically, against one from each team, it should bode well for them. Yeah, Tampa Bay has all the skill in the world, but they've never been able to put it together. They they kind of followed the 1994 New York Rangers when they won the Cup, that mold of they poached everybody from Edmonton that had been there and won. And Tampa Bay started poaching people from the Rangers that hadn't won at all, but they got in close, they had the experience, and then they coupled that with their young skill guys and They just haven't been able to mesh well in the playoffs. And obviously, Tampa Bay plays a very offensive style of game. They're not extraordinarily tight defensively. They do play well, and they have a great goaltender, so that does help them. But when you come to the playoffs and everybody's starting to lock down, it it definitely gets tougher for them to score, and they get exposed. You know, If they can't score three to four a game, they're going to get beat. And you look at a team that has been able to adjust in the playoffs in Washington— the Capitals are 2-1 and one against Boston this year, 1-3 and three against Philly. So it seems like Philly does have a lot of people's numbers in this you know, round robin, and 3-0 and oh against Tampa. So Washington held, them, held their own against these teams, and this is another year where they kind of fly low. They're very, very good. They didn't win the President's Trophy this year, but they still won. They were the best team in the Metro. Uh, I think that's five years in a row now. So this every year they come, they do their job. They're kind of on cruise control during the regular season now, and then they turn it up another notch in the postseason. Braden Holpe might get another life here. Uh, it's just another year where the Washington Capitals are in the running to win the Cup again. It's crazy, too, because we can start with goaltending here, and it doesn't. Braden Holpe was horrendous this year, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. He goes 25-14-6, and 6, 897 save percentage, 3.11 goals against average. Those are both career worst. And if they didn't have Ilya Samsonov, I have no idea. Where, this team might not even be in the playoffs, in all honesty, because not that he was amazing. He was good rookie season, but 
it was just the fact that Hopi was just so bad that Samson, even if Samson played awful, he was still going to be better than what Hopi was providing. And this is a team that, based on their stats and on their offensive capability, they don't have to have an amazing goalie in that to do it. We're see, we see that. Samsonov, 16-6-2, 9-13 percentage, 2.55 goals against average. And like I said, rookie season. So we can expect this guy to do great things in the future, which puts a lot of pressure on Hopi, given the fact that he is going to be a free agent. And this might be his last chance to show his worth in the playoffs and get a big-time contract because if he doesn't play well, there's no reason for Washington to re-sign him at all. But John Carlson was the biggest story of the year for the Capitals. He's a Norris Trophy finalist, 15 goals, 60 assists, 75 points. And not just that, he's playing 24 minutes and 38 seconds of ice time per game. I mean, this guy started off really strong. and You, you were waiting, all right, when he's going to come back to Earth, and he actually never came back to Earth. He's still orbiting around right now. Carlson has been elite this year. There's no question about that. 75 points. It puts him in elite company for defensemen. Norris Trophy Finals, he most likely will win it. The only person that's going to give him a run for his money is Roman Yossi, just because he's basically carried a pretty poor National Predators team to this point. So Carlson has had a phenomenal season. And I don't think Washington gets enough credit for being as structured as they are. Obviously, people know they're a phenomenal team. They know that they're great. They know that every year they're a perennial cup contender. But this team solidifies in their own end. They collapse around their net. They protect the house, which is the area in front of the net in the slot. And they do not give up many high-quality scoring chances in the playoffs. And when you have that coupling with a fact that they could score on anybody. You know, we talked about how Tampa Bay sometimes gets shut down in the playoffs. This team, they maneuver their way around. Part of that is because Nicholas Backstrom is one of the best setup men in the league. And he gets nowhere near enough credit as he deserves. But then you also have, you know, Alexander Ovechkin, who is always winning the Rocket Richard. He had 48 goals and 67 points this season, 15.4 shooting percentage, which surprisingly is a career high. You feel like every shot this guy takes goes in. Uh, he's just so good. But this team, very, very scary. And I, I wouldn't want to be playing them. Granted, it's a round robin. But once you get to that first round and if they get past the first round, you, you start to realize that they keep going. They have a motor that they put on 75%, 75%, and then boom, they kick it into the next gear. And this is a very, very talented roster. I think what separates the Capitals from every other team we're going to talk about is the fact that they're so good offensively, they're so good defensively, and they're physical. I mean, you look at Ovechkin, he puts up these numbers, but he still tries to hit somebody on every shift. You have Tom Wilson, who is the superior guy in the league when it comes to hitting illegally and legally, but it's still hitting. <laughs> And it's just like, who you don't know what to do. You have to watch over your shoulder because Ovechkin might score three goals against you and have five or six huge hits that just boost the momentum. And you got Tom Wilson always willing to drop the gloves or level somebody to help his team. So, I mean, just checking it off the list, checking like a checklist right now for, okay, a team that could contend every year. The Capitals do it. And you got to credit their coaching staff because, you know, they do lose players like every other team does. But it doesn't really matter because, if, I mean, you look at Rafi Gudis, right? He's on the team. This guy's a no-name defenseman, but he fits their system. He plays a structured defensive defenseman type system. He's not an offensive prowess at all, but he doesn't have to be. You got John Carlson. You got guys on defense that could light up the lamps. So, I mean, just this team in general, it's a scary team to play. I mean, as an Islander fan, I've seen it way too much. And Mm -hmm. this year, there was a a complete collapse. You saw the Islanders go into the third period with a huge lead. I'm trying to remember the score. I'm blanking. But this is a capital team that never gives up because they always have that playoff mentality that we're never out of it. We have the talent to do something. And if you take us lightly, we're going to crush you. And they came back and won that game. So uh, it it just doesn't matter what hole they go in. The question becomes, though, in a three-game series, hope he doesn't look good. I mean, let's say you lose one game. That one game you lost could have just 
screwed you completely. And yep. again, Samsonov could be bad in the playoffs. We don't know. And hope he's shown that he can win. So I think it comes down to goaltending is going to be a big key because, you know, hope he's had all this time off to reflect and look at video and focus and train. Can he show that he is the Hopi that we've seen a couple of years ago that could absolutely dominate? I mean, we all remember the his save in the Stanley Cup finals with the paddle. I mean, that's that's that'll go down as one of the greatest saves in the Stanley Cup of all time. But you're not defined by one save. Look at a season this year. No one cares about what you did a couple of years ago. You care about what you do now. So I think if he could find a way to get back to his old self, this capital team is no-brainer going to win this round, Robin, most likely, and then obviously compete for the Cup. Yeah, and the interesting part is, like you, you talked about, Washington, if they win the round robin and become that one seed they kind of line up to play the new york rangers barring what happens in the pittsburgh montreal series and obviously the rangers have to get past carolina but that's a team that's had their number in the playoffs so that becomes an interesting component and a team that has the rangers number is the philadelphia flyers who i think they've won nine straight games against the new york rangers which is kind of crazy considering how often they play but they were two and one against boston 0-2 0-2 against Tampa Bay, and 3-0 and against Washington. So the Flyers, you know, they, they turned it on late, but they were very competitive the whole year. They weren't a, any, a slouch by any means. And this is a team that at 20.8% on the power play, you know, their league average, they're 81.8% on the penalty kill, and they, they can play. <laughs> they got a lot of players that you might not regard at the top of the league outside of Claude Giroux and maybe Voracek, but this is a good young team. They have a really good young goalie in Carter Hart. And they, they got some weapons that I would be scared to go up against. And they got a new head coach in Elaine Vigneault who's proven that he can get teams to the cup. He hasn't won the cup, but he took Vancouver and the Rangers to there. And, and he knows how to coach in the regular season in the playoffs. So this is by no means a, a team that people can look past. One stat I do want to look at, and usually when we talk about playoffs, it would mean absolutely nothing. But this Flyers team ranked second in the league in shootout wins with five. Now, these games are going to be playoff-style games where it's going to be really defensive. We'll probably see some overtime games. But that's a crucial thing when you're having shootouts in this round robin because they clearly get it done when it comes down to it. So I think the talent level they have, you know, we talked about Giroux, Couturier. You know, they have so many guys that are not just great offensive players, but you see them in a shootout. You do not want to face them in a shootout. They are nifty. So I think that's a huge thing, especially when we're talking about this round robin. Travis Konechny led the team 24 goals, 37 assists, 61 points. Both the assists and points are career highs. He was shooting at 17%. Sean Couturier, 22 goals, 37 assists, 59 points. I mean, this team's played very, very well. Then you look at Carter Hart. Carter Hart had a great year, and I don't think he got nearly enough credit. Mm-hmm. 24, 13, and 3, 9, 14 save percentage, 2.42 goals against average. And you got Brian Elliott on the other end, an older goalie, probably closer to on his way out. 16, 7, and 4, 899 save percentage, 2.87 goals against average. So clearly it's going to be hard. I mean, this is your franchise goaltender. And if he could show something in this round, Robin, I mean, the Flyers for me, if the Flyers did win this round, Robin, I wouldn't be shocked. Just for the fact that they snuck into this last spot. They got great young. It's They have a lot of unknowns given the fact that they're leading score at 60, 61 points. And you have a rookie, uh, not a rookie goalie, a young goalie in net. So I think that they could surprise a lot of teams with their speed skill. I mean, Nolan Patrick's done absolutely nothing pretty much in his career based on what we expected. But who knows? He could turn it up in the playoffs. You don't you don't really know what's going to happen. So I think that the Flyers team is a sneaky one. And it's hard to decipher how well they could do in a round robin given their stats. Yeah, they, they definitely have pieces to make a push. They acquired Kevin Hayes in the offseason via free agency. 
that they added enough players around, you know, the usual guys there that they have a squad. And it's a young team. You know, I don't know how many playoff games they have amongst their whole roster, but it can't be too high. But they do have enough guys that have been there. Kevin Hayes played with the Rangers in the playoffs. You know, I don't I don't know if Konechny has many, but he probably has a few. Carter Hart is definitely young and, and experienced, but he's also very talented. And I remember watching a Flyers-Devils game where he made an unreal glove save on Taylor Hall at the goal line, and that would have tied it up. So he, he's got that charisma, I think, that he'll be fine in the postseason. And they definitely will be one of the favorites to win the round robin because of their records against the other three teams. And they're going to give a lot of people some problems in the postseason. So who do you think wins the Eastern Conference? Yeah, I hate going with the top dogs, but I just just from watching them and seeing just how good they are, it, I got to go with the Bruins again. I mean, I feel like they have the best goaltending tandem, and I know a tandem doesn't really mean much, but if one of them struggles early and gets pulled, I have complete faith the other guy's going to step up and play very, very well. They got speed, they got young legs, they got offense, and they have veteran. I mean, like I said, you check this stuff off. They, they are a legit contender every single year, and I think the biggest thing is they – they are their offensive zone time. I feel like they are always on a quote unquote power play when they have the puck because it's not run and gun. They sit up in the zone, they cycle, and like I said, they throw pucks at the net. And you know, the, we know the Gretzky quote, you know, just fire them in the net, see what happens. And I think that that bodes well against teams like the Flyers when they play them because you know the Flyers are a very, very, very young team, and the Bruins aren't, and the Bruins know what it takes to win. So I think that even against the Capitals or the Lightning, I just don't trust the Lightning at all. Until they prove to me I don't trust them. So that, that knocks out Tampa Bay and the Flyers. And Washington's going to give them a run for their money. But at the same time, it comes down to goaltending. And I think that – I feel like I don't trust Hopi at all. And I think that that's going to be the deciding factor. Yep. So I'm going to take a leap of faith with Hopi. And I'm going to pick Washington to have the one seed in the round robin. Um, I, I think that their numbers against Boston and Tampa Bay speak volumes to the type of game that they play and how they could stifle good hockey teams. Obviously, they struggled against Philly, but that's a divisional opponent. So it's not like, you know, they've only played them two or three times. They they have a lot of experience against them. And in a tighter game, I, I think that Washington will be able to do what they have to do. They That team's been there and done it so many times that I have the confidence in them to, after a long hiatus, come back and be able to play to their highest level, which is also another thing that we can't predict and no one can predict of how these teams are going to come out. Boston was so good, but will they be able to bring that level right away? You know, usually teams have a five to six game stretch where they have to get going. So that's going to be another factor in these playoffs. And they're still the class of the East, you know, until obviously Boston made the cup last year. But this is a team in Washington that's been to the cup. They keep going to the conference final. Teams emulate them. And I think that they're going to come out and just I don't know about how far they'll go in the playoffs, but I, I do think that they're going to win the round robin. So. All right, so now, so now we'll move on to the Western Conference. And so I'll kick it off. So one through four, you got St. Louis Blues, 42, 19, and 10, 94 points, 662 winning percentage, Colorado Avalanche, 42, 20, and 8, 92 points, 657 winning percentage, Vegas Golden Knights, 39, 24, and 8, 86 points, 0. .606. Win percentage, and to round it off, you got the Dallas Stars, 37, 24, and 8, 82 points, 594 winning percentage. And, and the one thing that stands out right out of the bat is uh, the fact that the Western Conference standings are a lot weaker than the uh, Eastern Conference standing. Boston, obviously, with 100 points, was in first place, and the Flyers, with 89 points, were in fourth place. 
you look at the disparity in 94 for the first place blues and 82 for the fourth place stars. So the Eastern conference is definitely stronger. And uh, I think that these four teams in the West though, battle a lot harder against each other. Their records display that then some teams play each other better than others. But I think for the most part, they're pretty even. You look at the St. Louis blues, they were two and two against the avalanche this season. They were one Oh and two against the Vegas golden Knights and they were four Oh and one against the Dallas stars. So they had a good record against the Stars. They played Vegas hard and well, even though they lost two games in OT. And Colorado, they split with. So the Blues, we know that they're a very good hockey team. They're the Stanley Cup champions from last year. And I think that they're going to be able to carry that over into this round robin. I think for the St. Louis Blues, I know. I mean, we all know the magic of last year. Halfway through, dead last place, wins the whole thing. You thought, okay, well, um, they probably listened to Gloria all summer long, and they probably won't be ready to play when the season begins again. But yet we see it here again. They continued to show truly ha- that last year wasn't a fluke and that they just weren't riding momentum because unless they're still riding it, they played absolutely unreal this season, and that's the reason why they're in first place and they won 662% of their games. But um, standouts for me, Ryan O'Reilly, 12 goals, 49 assists, 61 points, 56.6% in the faceoffs. David Perron, 25 goals. 35 assists, 60 points, 15.1 shooting percentage, and he's got 27 power play points. And I think both these two guys are not guys when you think of offensive talent in the NHL. They don't really come to mind. David Perron really sinks underneath a lot of teams and players, you know, he, but he does his job and he does it very, very well. And Ryan O'Reilly, I think he gets a short end of the stick sometimes with how it worked in Buffalo and, you know, how it ended near Colorado. And I think that He's been very good for the St. Louis Blues. And like you, what we talked about, face-off, winning face-offs is so crucial. And again, in a round-robin where literally each face-off means something given the fact that how you get seated afterwards. Having a guy that could win in the face-off circle is huge. And the goaltending, Brendan, has been it's been a weird story just for the fact that Pennington was the story of last season. And this year he's 30-13-7, 2.56 goals against average, 9-12 save percentage, three shutouts. He wasn't as elite as he was last year. But this is when this gets crazy because Jake Allen, who had a poor season last year, then got hurt, then lost his spot, goes 12-6-3, 2.15 goals against average, 9-27 save percentage, two shutouts. And I think for Jake Allen, we've talked about it, he could have held his head low after last year, losing his starting job, but he did, and he came back better than we've really seen ever in his time in the NHL. And it bodes well given the fact, like we said, having a tandem with one struggles early, you know, we talk about it now, we could talk about it like with baseball, you know, a shortened season or a situation like this means that your stars are playing the most, but you can't afford slumps. You can't afford someone to come out of the gate and not play to their capability. And if either if Jordan Benenden comes out and struggles in the first period of the first game, send in Jake Allen because last year you don't have the faith to put Jake Allen in this position to help you carry a team. But now you do this year and that becomes so much more vital. Yeah, I think that Jordan Bennington has earned himself a very long leash considering how calm and cool he was last season. And yeah, his numbers aren't staggering. Like Allen is a 215, but Allen's also only played in 21 games. So it's it's different. You got Jordan Bennington's 130 games. The numbers are, you know, very, very solid. So I think that Bennington is the clear number one. And I don't think that you're going to watch him get uh, yanked in any of these games. I think that they've won because of their goaltending at times. And obviously this is a very, very good defensive hockey club. So they don't give up many high quality chances. So I think whatever goaltenders in there will be fine, but Bennington's going to be that guy. And, you know, they have a one-two punch that's that rivals, you know, the best in the league. And then you look at Colorado, who's kind of fluctuated in goaltending. 
They have Philip Grubauer, who's been hurt, and probably Francois in net. So, obviously, Colorado is a team that's led by their offense. Obviously, Nathan McKinnon's the first guy that comes to mind when you think about that franchise. And They went 2-2 two and two against the Blues this year. They went 2-0 and oh against Vegas. And surprisingly, they went 0-2-2 oh, and two against the Dallas Stars, a team that doesn't really score, but they do stifle a lot of their opponents. So, it's interesting to see how they match up. I think that offensively, Colorado is the class of the West. They have so many weapons. And the points-wise, they might not show it outside of McKinnon, but... This is a team that's got a lot, a lot of talent up front. Well, you talk about the talent up front and also the talent on the back end. And Kale McCarr, he's called their finalist, 12 goals, 38 assists, 50 points. But what's crazy about him, which reminds me of the Rangers, Adam Fox, and Quinn Hughes, is that they are so wise beyond their years. Just their playmaking ability, their vision on the ice is kind of crazy. And when you think about a team that has McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, I mean, you get seam passes from these guys in the back end that you 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 think they're like Nicholas Backstrom passes playing 15-plus years in the league, and that's where they learned it. No, these guys are coming out of college, juniors, whatever meet may be, and they just have that view of find the open guy with speed and sauce and skill, and that just it provides just another offensive ability, and especially in their defensive zone, too. They don't knack their defense. Their defense is great. But, I mean, Kelmar Carr's speed. And this whole Colorado Avalanche team is full of speed. Yep. And speed kills. And speed is something that might take a little while to get back after a long break. But once they find it after training camp and they're on full you know, full sail, they're a hard team to catch up to. And you got to be a physical team to stop them. But I really don't think it matters. Just their raw, their raw speed kills. Yeah, they added Kadri. You know, they added Bierkowski. So they added talent up front. Obviously, defensively, they... They have guys, but they still struggle a little bit defensively, and that's to be expected when you invest so much in the offensive side of the game. But I think that for McKinnon, who's a Hart Trophy candidate, who has 93 points this season, 35 goals, 58 assists, he's got 1.35 points per game. He's one of the few players in the league, and this is one of the things that separates you know the top-end talent from the guys that will score 50 to 60 points a year. And He can move as fast without the puck as he does with it. His hands don't lag behind his feet. And you, you watch you know, his highlight tape and how many people have you seen him cross over, which is just in basketball, you see it all the time. In hockey, it's very rare. Very rare to see a defenseman lose his balance because of how fast the guy's coming in on you. And I think that him along with McDavid right now might be the only two people that can actually have that ability. Pavel Datsuk used to have it, and he used to do it with just his hands, which is even more impressive. But McKinnon is so talented. And you don't know whether he's going to stick handle or shoot. His release is so well disguised. I think that his ability to play and set up Rantanen and set up Landis Cog and whoever else he's playing with is going to be huge in three games for a round robin against three different teams because that's when skill is needed. You talk about a playoff series, we talk about defense, goaltending, but in three games against three separate teams, your stars have to step up, and you know with McKinnon he will. Yeah, and the biggest thing for McKinnon is he's healthy. He did miss some time this year. So I think having him back just bodes an extra boost of confidence to a team that they are legit. They are legit, and I think that they have a chance to win the Cup this year. Just with, I mean, the goaltending is not, you know, they don't have big-name brands in goal, but it doesn't really matter because they played well. I mean, Grubauer leaves the Capitals. He was a solid backup. You know, you didn't really expect much, and Pavel Francouz, I mean, you didn't expect much from him either, but he, they've both been very, very good. And it comes back to goaltending and the offensive prowess we've seen with this Avalanche team. And they're the real deal. They are. They're, they're very talented. And I think that you said how fast they are. 
and, and that does kill, especially in a round robin where it's, you know, if, if they go to a three-on-three OT, right, you're talking about a loaded front, a loaded three. You're going to have McKinnon and McCard definitely. Whoever goes on McKinnon's wing is going to be very talented as well. So that, that's very hard to stop. And I, I think that they're going to be able to use that to their advantage. I don't necessarily know how well they'll play in a playoff yet. Obviously, they had last year to build. McCarr came up for the playoffs, so he's got some experience. And they're going to be hard to oust. But especially in a round robin, their talent is so immense that it's going to be tough to for any team to skate with them, especially after a long layoff. Yeah, I completely agree. We'll move on to Vegas now. Vegas versus St. Louis, 2-1. Vegas versus Colorado, 0-2-0. Oh, and Vegas versus Dallas, 1-1. One one. Looking at the team stats, their power play at 22%, very good. PK, 76.6%, not great. Goals for 3.15, goals against 2.94. So not a huge disparity between the two, which might come back to bite them. But, the, I mean, you look at goaltending, and I think that's the biggest thing, is Marc-Andre Fleury was not great this year at all, and he's your number one guy. You do have Leonard, which I'll get to in a second, who's been great in his short stint with the team. But uh, Fleury goes 27-16-5, 2.77 goals against average, 9.05 save, five shutouts. That's not a good save percentage for a guy like of Fleury's capability. And then Robin Leonard, he's played only three games with Vegas since coming over from Chicago, 3-0-0, 1.67 goals against average, 9.40 save, one shutout. With Chicago before coming over, 16-10-5, 3.01 goals against average, 9.18 save percentage. And that's quite impressive given the fact that Chicago was not a good team at all this year. And we saw with Leonard last year with the Islanders how good of a regular season he had. And he played quite well in the playoffs. The team just didn't show up to score offensively. And you look at a team like Vegas, they can put the puck in the net, which should bode a lot better for Leonard this season if he gets playing time if Flurry does struggle. We've seen Flurry in the playoffs Struggled in the past. I remember a long time ago against the Islanders, he was pulled. He was embarrassing. They put Thomas Vokun in, the great Thomas Vokun. And, you know, but, yeah, Fleury's capable of just being electric. We saw what he did in his first year with Vegas, especially in the regular season and in the playoffs. He carried them. He put the team on his back. But I think that, you know, look at their offense. Max Pastoretti leading the way, 32 goals, 34 assists, 66 points. Another big faceoff guy, 53.1% of faceoffs. 0.93 0.93 points per game. But for Pacioretty, he's not even a center in. And I think that bodes well, given the fact that if he slots and someone gets kicked out of the faceoff circle, again, we'll keep coming back to the point of faceoffs in the playoffs are crucial in winning them, and especially in a round robin where, you know, you don't know how many opportunities you're going to get, given the fact that teams will play defensively and you have the regular season rules and all that kind of stuff. But Max Pacioretty definitely is a weapon. And again, like, not a guy that gets a lot of credit when he came over from Montreal. I mean, this was a big acquisition. And he's proven to be very uh, – that was a great trade. You look at Mark Stone, 21 goals, 42 assists, 63 points, shooting at 12.5%, 0.97 points per game. Again, Mark, these are guys that don't get a super amount of credit, but Mark Stone is consistent every single year. He lights the lamp. He's played good in his own zone. Just a hell of a guy to have on your hockey team. Yeah, definitely. And you, you talk about those two guys. They're both deadline acquisitions who they acquired from Montreal and from Ottawa. And they came over and – they were okay in their first you know, years with the team, but now they've settled in. We see everybody with Vegas somehow settles in. That team just keeps building and building and building. But they've got a lot of guys that have now been in the playoffs, even the guys that first started there. They had that big run their first year, so now they're veterans. Now they've seen it. This is another good team. Obviously, they have a lot of offensive guys who have kind of underperformed. But come the playoffs, you know, the goals are harder to come by anyway. So if they could step up, they'll be fine. And when you talk about Marc-Andre Fleury, I see five shutouts, which means when he is good, he's dominant. 
And obviously we know that he's one of the best goaltenders in the league when he's on fire. It's very hard to beat him, especially laterally how quick he is. But he struggles at times, too, in the postseason. I know that you just talked about the time against the Islanders when he got pulled. I, I know the Rangers had his number. He was replaced by Matt Murray when they Pittsburgh went on their cup run. So obviously this is a guy that, as good as he is in the regular season, has struggled a bit in the postseason, which can come back to bite him. And they acquired Robin Leonard, who, if this was the tandem the full year, they might be the Jennings winners. You know, these are two legitimate number one goaltenders in this league. So they're very comfortable now in goal. You've seen Leonard, how comfortable he is playing there. And I, would, I would, wouldn't be surprised if you see Flurry struggle if they have another Pittsburgh-type situation where Leonard becomes that guy. And offensively, they'll be okay. I think that if the goaltending can be very, very good, this is a team that might go back to the cup. I just look at their roster, and it's talented, very talented. It still boggles my mind, just the success they've had since being... I mean, you look at expanded teams back in the day, before our time, but um, they weren't good. It took years and years for them to even become competitive. And you look at the way ownership handled the expansion draft, you know, picking not star... Obviously, you can't pick star players from teams, but cutting deals with teams to, here, if you give me this player, I won't take that. You know, just the marking that they did to put a team together. And, of course... After a great season, of course, players want to come to the team. They acquire pass already. They make great moves at the deadlines. They acquire Leonard, and that doesn't look like a big thing given the fact they have Flurry. But you never know what would happen. Like you said, Leonard comes in, could be the saving grace of this team and this franchise moving forward in this playoffs. We're going out to the Dallas Stars, and this team is a head-scratcher just because they're another team every year that has so much talent offensively in Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, I mean, Radulov. Pavelski, you know, a huge acquisition, him leaving the Sharks at age 36 because he wanted to go to a team that he thought could win. And he chose Dallas, and now that Dallas is in, and he's played quite well too. But it's just the fact that, you know, ownership calls them out. Their star players are not playing to the level they have to play at. During this hiatus, Roman Polak, defenseman, signed with a Czech Republic team, and he might not come back. And while that might not be a huge loss on the back end, given the fact that in 41 games he has four assists, four points, and is a minus six, he's still part of the team that got to where they are today. So, you know, he might do the things that – he clearly does the things that aren't on the scoreboard because with the stats like that, he wouldn't be on the roster. But I think for this Dallas team, it's finally time for the Stars to step up. We've seen how good they are in the regular season. And they just don't do anything in the playoffs. You look at Sagan, 17 goals, 33 assists, 50 points, 58.2% in the faceoff dot, shooting only at 6.9%. And 17 goals for a guy like Tiger Sagan shouldn't be happening. It's a guy that should be 25 to 30 goals, especially when you're playing alongside a guy like Ben. You know, these are two offensive juggernauts in this league. A few years ago, Jane Ben beat out uh, John Tavares on the Islanders at the time for the Art Ross. And I'm pretty sure he did it in the last game on empty net goal to get it. I'm, I'm, don't quote me, but it was came down to the last game of the season in the last couple of minutes. Yeah, these are guys that need to step up in the playoffs, and we really haven't seen it. Ben, 19 goals, 20 assists, 39 points, sitting at 11.7%. 19 goals is nothing for a guy of this caliber, and it gets me angry because, you know, we, they get a lot of heat from the fan base and ownership, and they fire back, you know, but I don't blame them. I mean, yes, ownership shouldn't be calling out the, the players on your team because if they don't play well and you're paying them a lot of money, they could just sit on their butts and do nothing and say, ah, screw you. But it comes down to a time where you got to take accountability. We saw Sagan, and, you know, he was amazing with the Bruins, but obviously he wasn't a superstar caliber. They didn't think that's why they dealt him. So I think it's it's time for Dallas, and I think 
the acquisition of Pavelski, we know he's the best guy in front of the net when it comes to deflections. He's a leader. He's shown that he's a leader. And it doesn't matter how old you are. He still plays to his ability every single year and doesn't, you know, he's not like, oh, he's 36 years old. You know, he's slowing down. No, he's not slowing down. And that's what makes him so vital. For goaltending, Ben Bishop's been the storyline, 21-16-4, 2.50 goals against average, 9.20 save, two shutouts. But don't sleep on Anton Kudobin, who we talked about on our last episode. 16-8-4, 2.22 goals against average, 9.30 save percentage. It's not even close. Ben Bishop starting in the playoffs. He's been very good, and he deserves it. But on the back end, you have Anton Kudobin. And even if Kudobin does not play in this round robin or in the playoffs, He's the reason why they got to where they are. The games that Bishop doesn't play, he's played and he's gotten wins. So I think that's super crucial. And I think it's time for Dallas to step it up or, you know, it's, it's, I really think it's, you either step it up or it's over for you and you got to break the team apart. Cause clearly the, the unit that you have isn't working when it comes down to the, the really important games. Yeah. Last year they went on a mini run. Uh, they, they had Matt Zuccarello they acquired and they, they put it together. Rupe Hintz had a great postseason. They also have Corey Perry now that they brought over. So, they, they got guys. I don't know how this team has really underperformed so badly offensively. It's very shocking that Tyler Sagan's their leading scorer with 50 points and Jamie Ben's second with 39. It's just very odd. But at the same time, they're defensively, they've been very stout. They only give up 2.52 goals per game. So they've been very good in net, especially with Bishop and Kudobin. And defensively, they've been very good. And you got to give credit to Sagan and Ben for coming back because if you're not scoring, you can't be, you can't take your bad offense to the defensive zone and, Clearly, with the way the team's played defensively, they've been able to uh, be stout in their own end. Uh, but y- you look at what they're doing offensively. If they have any hope this year of going on another run, they're going to have to step it up. Uh, it's not a secret that their ownership group called them out, like you said, during the regular season, and they had words for them. And I mean, you can't, like, everyone has bad years. And sometimes if you're having a bad season, you know, another player on your team is going to be affected by it, especially your line mates. And, and it, it kind of is like a ripple effect through the team. But to have both of you guys having a, a poor season in the same, it, it affects. It affects the whole squad. But they've been able to ride that, you know, poor offensive unit to the fourth best record in the Western Conference. So at the same point, they're here and they're already in the playoffs. So I think that that can boost their confidence a little bit, especially now with all this time off. You know, Now you're going to have Sagan rested, Ben rested, Radulov rested. It's going to be interesting to see how they compete. So, Brendan, who's your pick in the West? So, for the Western Conference, I am picking the Colorado Avalanche. I think that Nathan McKinnon, to me, is a complete X factor. You have Rantanen, you have Landis Gog. They're just very talented up front, like we talked about. McCarr, who played last year in the playoffs, has some experience. He's going to lead that defensive group offensively. And, you know, I I think that in a three-game round robin, the skill set that they possess on their team from the first guy offensively to the last guy defensively, their goaltending situation, I think it'll be good enough to get them into that one seed just because if you can score at a high rate for three games, you're going to be the one seed in this. It's really, this is meant for these guys to get playing reps. Obviously, I don't know if I feel good about the seeding situation being added to it. I feel like they should have just kept the top four the way it was. But now that they added that, I, I feel like Colorado's got the best shot now. Just if they could put that foot to the gas pedal for three games, they're going to be the one seed. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that a healthy McKinnon, he is top five in the league, maybe even top three in the league, and just overall skill set. 
And McCarr might be the best defenseman in the entire National Hockey League when it's all said and done. And I think it, it's not even going to be a – it's going to be a bright future. But what we're seeing right now, I feel like, is what we're going to see every year, if not better, for this guy in his NHL career, which could be a long time given the fact that he's so young right now. And he just shows that he had – if he has a mentality of a 20-year vet right now in 1.5 years or whatever in the league, I can't imagine how good this guy's going to be and how big he is. I mean, we saw him step up in the playoffs last year. He scored, I think, in his first game, playoff game yep. he scored. He so, and it was a beautiful shot. So I think that this Avalanche team is just so strong. And, it, I mean, the little thing that bothers me is just the goaltending because not that they weren't good. It's just unproven in the playoffs. Yeah. You don't – I'd rather go if they had a guy like Leonard on their team or uh, Flurry or someone who's been around, and then I have more confidence in them. But I still have all the confidence in the world for them to win. I could see the St. Louis Blues just because they never took, they never slowed down from half uh, from the midpoint last season to now. They haven't slowed down, so why can't why would I count them out now? But I think that the Avalanche will come out on top. Yep, I. I- uh, I like that we agree on this one. I think that Colorado is a safe pick because of that skill and upside. I mean, if I was going to pick a team to maybe do it outside of Colorado, I don't think Dallas can. I really think that it would be Vegas just because how I they're very deep. And people have overlooked them. They had that coaching change midseason, which people are like, why are you going to fire Gargalant, you know, he's been great for you since he come over. And then all of a sudden, boom, they skyrocket with Pete DeBoer. So I think that this is a team that really could make a cup run this year. And you look at the Blues. They did it last year. I would have picked them to be my Western Conference winners again if the season had continued. But now that there's this whole hiatus, it's like all their energy, all their charisma, it's been on hold. It doesn't have the same weight. So I really think that Colorado is going to win this round robin, and it's between them and Vegas to make that cup run. I think when you're looking at the Eastern Conference compared to the Western Conference in the fact they're playing at hub cities, I think it hurts the Western Conference teams more. Yes, the fan base in the Eastern Conference teams we mentioned is huge. But you think of the storyline, St. Louis Blues, Gloria, the crowd. Just I remember the crowd at these Stanley Cup games, how big. And you look at Vegas, you're playing in Vegas. That crowd's unreal. People say that's one of the hardest places to play. But now you're taking that element out of it yep, completely. And I think that hurts a team like the St. Louis Blues. And I think it hurts a team like Vegas, given the fact that, yes, your fans don't mean everything to you. But at the same time, when a team comes into your packed house with the show, I mean, Vegas has the pregame show that gets everybody ready to go. That's now gone. So I think that just that whole atmosphere hurts these Western Conference teams more. But it might give an advantage to some like a Dallas or, or an Avalanche team where the other two teams in Vegas and St. Louis have just a much – bigger fan base when you talk about the NHL and like the, the television and you see what goes on in a game, I think that that's crucial. You, you talk about Colorado maybe having the fan advantage by not being in Colorado at the same time, but that's a place that also is in a mile-high city. You know, People go there and they have some difficulty breathing. They don't have the same oxygen levels, so that's another factor now. They're all going to be playing on an even playing field, so definitely, like you said, very interesting to see. Brendan, do you want to introduce who our interviewee is on this episode of the podcast? So our interview this week is Matthew Medelia, goaltender for the Great Falls Americans. He is a one of my close buddies from back home. We played travel hockey together as kids, and he went played all three years at juniors. He's seen Montana. He's seen Florida. He's played in Jersey. So he's been well-traveled, and he's another goaltender we're going to have on. We're going to see if he gives us similar you know, opinions to what Chris Testa gave us last week. And he's also a chef. He's 
going to culinary school and I ate some of his food. Very, very good. Very skilled chef as well as a goaltender. So going to be great to talk to him. Hey, Matt, how you doing? Good. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. So obviously there's a lot of stuff going on with the CHL and uh, they are in the midst of a lawsuit led by Daniel Carcillo about hazing and a bunch of other drug use and all that stuff in the CHL. So I just wanted to know your take on that. You know, somebody that's played juniors, not asking you to divulge any secrets, but have uh, you think that, that there's like merit to that claim that there's hazing and drug use going on behind scenes? So from my junior experience, I've been lucky enough to never encounter what those guys went through. Yep. But it is something that you do hear about a lot throughout junior hockey. Obviously, I never played at their level. But throughout the whole junior spectrum, stuff like that does go on. I'm sure it does. And I'm sure there's a lot more stuff behind the scenes. And there's the whole issue of whether or not it was, you know, these people just doing it one time or what they had done to them. But uh, introduce yourself to everybody that's, you know, out here. Obviously, you said you played juniors. So tell everybody where you played, you know, what your experiences were like traveling the great country of the USA. It, it's honestly one of the most amazing experiences ever. I got to play in Florida and Montana mainly outside of living in New York and New Jersey and just being able to experience the country and experience all these different types of living throughout the United States is just an amazing experience overall. What is it like going to, you know, you're coming from a kid from New York and even Jersey, but then going to play in Montana. What's that, what's that transition like? And does it impact your performance on the ice? It impacts it when you start because you're still adjusting to a whole different type of living. Like, obviously, in New York, everything's sped up. Everything's fast. We're not used to slowing down for stuff. When you live in Montana, everything's more relaxed. You actually calm down a little bit, and it actually makes the game a little easier because not everything's as stressful. Not everything's as fast. I know you had talked about how in Montana there's not really much else around, so, like, you guys were minor celebrities. So you want to take us through, like, what's that like being, you know, thrust into a little bit of a spotlight there? It's actually amazing feeling to walk around town and actually be told, hey, you play for the Americans, right? You're part of this. It becomes something bigger than yourself, and you become part of a bigger family. And playing in front of a couple thousand people, a lot different than playing in front of 10, 20 people yep. when you're playing back home in New York because junior hockey isn't as big as it is out there. And I know that you're uh, getting your journey started into culinary arts and – I've had some meals cooked by you, pretty good, got to admit, you know, the ribs were, they slapped. So uh, what's your pregame meal? Like if you had to make one, what was your go-to one? If I got to make my pregame meal, usually yeah. for home games, chicken parm all the time. Really? Favorite meal of all time, favorite pregame meal of all time. Not too heavy? No. Nah. So you're getting ready for a game, you got to figure out the way your body reacts. I knew if I cooked, I ate something four or five hours before a game, I'll be fine. If I ate it three hours before a game, I might be lagging at the start of the game. Yeah. So you got to learn your body before you could start figuring out some pregame meals like that. So talking about performance now on our podcast episode, this time we talked about, you know, the round robin play and you got the four teams in the East and the four teams in the West. And obviously there's a lot of good goaltenders being that those eight teams are at the top of the league. So if you had a look at one of the goalies, which which is the best goaltender among that group? If you're looking East Conference, yeah. Carter Hart is going to run away with it if it's the right matchup. 
because that guy can steal a series. For the round-robin play, if Montreal was in there, I would give it to the Canadians because Carey Price could just dominate a series, especially a short one. But I see a lot of Carter Hart with Carey Price, and he could definitely just take that round-robin and run with it. For West Coast, it's St. Louis. There's nobody else on the West Coast that's going to match up to him. What was the uh, practice situation like in Great Falls? Was it three to four days a week plus games, or was it more travel than, than anything? So we would play every Friday and Saturday night, and our off day would always be Sunday. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we were practicing every day. And then on um, Saturday mornings, we would if we're home, we have a morning date. If we're on the road, we try to leave early in the morning and get to the game at least two, three hours before puck drop so we have enough time to get our bodies right. So when people think about juniors, they think about, you know, kids, obviously, like 16 to 20 years old. You're not really fully developed yet until you are at the end. And But you got traded, didn't you? And then take us through that process. I di- didn't get traded, but I was on the trading block a couple times. And when I was playing down in Florida, I was told, just be ready. We have a couple offers that we're thinking of maybe accepting. So there's a chance you might be moved in the next couple of weeks. And it's one of those moments where you're just like, well, okay, so what do I got to do next? And those two weeks that you got to wait for that deadline, it's you got a bag ready just in case you got to take a quick trip to another town and get settled again. But at the same time, you got to make sure you're staying focused on the team you're playing for that week. You don't want to focus too much on it, but it always lingers in the back of your mind. Have you ever had a teammate get traded? Yeah, so a couple of my best friends on teams, they were traded like start of the season too. And it's one of those where you're just coming together as a team and then new faces are coming right in. It's definitely a, um, it's a weird feeling knowing that that guy was just with you and now you're going to be playing against him in a couple of weeks. But at the same time, it's always, it's always a friendship that you'll never lose. So out of all the places you played since you've been around the U.S., what was your favorite place to play? And give us maybe a few reasons why, besides just the team skill or something like that. Oh, play, playing in Great Falls was probably the most – the opportunity I got to play for great, the Great Falls Americans is something I will always be appreciated of. The fan base that they have is beyond anything I've seen in junior hockey in the division I was in. They were getting at least 1,000 people per game for home games – the energy was always there at the games, you, and the team just brings you in right away. I joined them two weeks before Thanksgiving, and I felt like I've been, been with them since training camp. They just – the town accepts you, the team accepts you, and it's just an atmosphere that doesn't get matched in many places. Have you ever had an interaction with a fan when you were out to eat or something where they asked for a signature or we're not really quite at that level? No, actually, yeah, I have. So we were eating at this diner the morning before a game and it's maybe like 10 of us from the team. Some lady comes up to the table and she was like, you guys are part of the Great Falls Americans, right? And we're like, yeah. So she was like, can we, can we please get a photo with you guys? We bought tickets for the game next week. It's just an amazing feeling and it's kind of humbling but exciting at the same time to experience that. Do you practice your signature at all? Yeah, all the time. (laughs) All the time, yeah. (laughs) I don't have to give off too often, but I have one ready just in case. On the off chance you do, you want to make sure it's perfect. 
I think it's mainly so he could just keep practicing writing, you know. Yeah, it's, basically. You know. He, he struggles with that sometimes. So as a goalie, obviously I have my opinion on this, but when you're making a save, what is your favorite save to make? Because I don't think it's really up for debate, even though we could talk about it, but I just, I just want to see your opinion. Oh, you, it's got to be a windmill. Like yeah, every, okay. goal, every right. goalie dreams of having that one big windmill save that's just going to stop everybody in their tracks. Uh, I just wanted to put that argument to rest. Yes, I believe it is the windmill glove save. I've made the sack and the pads, the paddle, but nothing's like even – the, even the baby basic glove saves are dope, especially if you do it with the, you know, the arm extends okay. to make it dramatic. You know, that's, those are big things. Every goalie, no matter how fundamental you want to be, every goalie is going to have that little yeah. wing to make that windmill. Didn't get didn't that screw Patrick Wah once when he went like that and he dropped yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, he catches it, goes to showboat, <laughs> picks it up, and drops it right into the net. Yeah. So goalies, about, don't, do, don't do that. What about a stick save though? What yeah. about like the one hope he made? I feel like that's harder to do. Every goalie can make a windmill save, but very few can stick a stick back and bat that out of midair. That's actually not as hard of a save as it looks. You just gotta time it beautifully. I, I think like I, I agree. Well, if you're falling backwards and the puck's behind you, right? The only way you're making that save is trying to get your pad on it. So it's pretty much very, very lucky. I feel like with the glove save, not only is your reaction got to be quick, but it just feels freaking amazing. Because, yeah. because usually when that happens, you didn't track. If you're doing a windmill glove save, it's either – it's usually not that you tracked it. Because if you tracked it, you'd have the glove out of big catch. It's more like a quick shot and you stick your glove out and you're like, holy, I got it. That's pretty much, that's pretty much the mindset as you bring it in. So I think it's any, any goalie that makes a save that's flashy and amazing, you know they messed up somewhere that they had a backtrack to make that save. Because if you're positioned, the whole – I mean, I'll let the, the top – the higher goalie talk about this. But, you know, it's all positioning. If you're not positioned correctly, you have to sprawl. You don't really want to be a goalie that sprawls every game. You want to be positioned perfectly, little rebounds. But on the off chance where your rebound is not controlled well – you got, you're either diving out to make an absolute amazing save or it's going into your net and it's your fault. See, one goalie who is amazing fundamentally is Matt Murray. For one week, I got, a, I got to train with him. His fundamentals are just beyond anything that I've ever seen in this game. It really is. It just goes to show how hard the NHL is because he's, he struggled this year. And you're talking about, like, you meet a guy like that and how good he is. And it's just crazy how elite shooters and other goalies in the league are just that, – that's crazy. Because he really like, has not been good this year. I really do believe one of the most underrated goaltenders fundamentally and skill-wise is Mike Smith. The work he puts in and the way he trains, sometimes his numbers don't show it, but I also believe the teams he plays for doesn't. But the, the way he puts in work and his fundamentals and his attention to detail just goes beyond anything that you actually see on the ice sometimes. But did you train with Mike Smith? So I went to John Elkins hockey goalie school and Mike Smith and Matt Murray are two of his biggest clients. They were on the ice one day before our session and just the speed and the quickness plus the attention to small details. Like I watched these guys get mad about a glove being half an inch lower than it needs to be. Like, that's the detail that they put into becoming who they are right now. That concludes this edition of Hockey Unmasked. Thank you, Matt, for joining us as your interview was great content for the hockey community. Thank you all for listening each week. We really appreciate your support. Stay safe, 
stay healthy, and tune in each week for a new edition of the Hockey Unmasked Podcast.